We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go, episode 542 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Tuesday, April 4th, 2023, and the Yukon Huskies, they are national champions of college basketball in an NCAA tournament in which we were beaten over the head with the theme of the Blue Bloods, the traditional college basketball powers not shining. Uh, well, we ended up having a traditional college basketball power winning the national championship, albeit as a four seed, but a 76-59 ripping of five-seeded San Diego State at NRG Stadium in Houston, Texas, late night on Monday night. Hey, if you didn't stay up for the game, you didn't miss much, but UConn, yes, a four seed, but also, yes, a dominant run to win this tournament. UConn ended up winning each of its six games in this tournament by at least 13 points. That, my friends, is dominance. That is making the rest of the field humble. Make him humble. Yes, like our great friend, the Iron Sheik would say, make him humble. Uh, UConn, uh, it now has won a national title in the 1990s, the 2000s, the 2010s, and the 2020s. Uh, UConn joins North Carolina as the only programs to win a national title in each of four consecutive decades. Hello and welcome to this Tuesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, I just mentioned North Carolina. Uh, its starting quarterback for three seasons was a guy named Sam Howell. He now is a quarterback for the Washington Commanders, in case you have not heard. Uh, next segment, more on why Commanders head coach Rod Rivera is positioning Sam to be the team's QB1 for the 2023 season. Some notable comments from Ron to NFL insider Albert Breer of the MMQB. Oh, I do believe that we have yet another instance of Ronnie's. Yes, Ronnie's, the language of Rod Rivera. Stay tuned. Uh, and then after another lesson of Ronnie's, I have a special guest for you, NFL business insider Andrew Beaton of the Wall Street Journal on the sale of the commanders, including his report this past Friday on our co-owner and co-CEO, Dan Snyder, having gone dark on other NFL owners. Dan is not keeping other NFL owners updated on what's going on with the sale. <laughs> what exactly is that about? Uh, Andrew is going to tell us what the heck is going on, uh, what people have to say about what is going on. Whether NFL owners would vote Dan out as owner of the Commanders if need be, and a lot more. Yet another high-level insider on the sale of the Commanders is forthcoming. Andrew Beaton of the Wall Street Journal is coming up. Uh, also on the show, the Nationals. You know, we on Monday night had the second lowest official attendance for a Nats regular season home game since the franchise moved to Washington, D.C. in the 2004-2005 offseason. Your attendance at Nationals Park on Monday night, 10,000 
754. And uh, they saw the Nats do next to nothing offensively in a 6-2 loss to the Tampa Bay Rays. I have some thoughts on what went down. And I have some thoughts on what happened with the Orioles on Monday night. Yes, it is uh, very early in the MLB regular season, but dare I say a gut check win for the O's, a gut check win for the Birds on Monday night, a 2-0 win at the Texas Rangers. The O's tossed a one-hit shutout despite their starting pitcher Kyle Bradish leaving the game after one and two-thirds innings due to having suffered a right foot contusion. Uh, before we get to some feedback, big news for Maryland basketball. The Terrapins, they reportedly are hiring Mike Jones as an assistant coach to replace a Tony Skin who left to become George Mason's head coach. Mike Jones. This is the Mike Jones who spent the last two seasons as associate head coach at Virginia Tech, which hired him in May 2021. This also is the Mike Jones who was the head coach at DeMatha Catholic High School in Hyattsville, Maryland, for 19 seasons, 2002 to 2021. It was Mike Jones who replaced the legendary Morgan Wooten as DeMatha head coach. But if you are a Terps fan like me, here is the rub. Hunter Dickinson, 7-1 center Hunter Dickinson, who starred at Michigan the last three seasons and who has entered the NCAA transfer portal. Uh, Dickinson went to DeMatha. His coach at DeMatha was Mike Jones. Uh, It is true that Dickinson has held a grudge against Maryland uh, for it supposedly not recruiting him very hard. But, you know, the regime that supposedly did not recruit Dickinson very hard, the Mark Turgeon regime, uh, that regime is long gone. The Turge has not been Terps head coach since December 2021. And so, if you are a Terps fan, you can't help but wonder, Mike the Terps hiring Mike Jones. Get them, Hunter Dickinson. (laughs) Boy, I hope so. That would be huge. Giddy up on that. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Thelonious Funk on something that I talked about on last Thursday's show, episode 539. And that something was Ron Rivera in his session with reporters last Tuesday morning in Phoenix, Arizona at the NFL's annual league meeting saying in this his fourth offseason as Washington head coach, quote, we are roster building, I think, for the first time, end quote. Uh, Also from Ron in that session with reporters was him continuing these public expressions of uncertainty from the commanders regarding the exercising of the fifth-year option in the rookie contract of edge defender Chase Young. So writes Thelonious, who always brings the funk on Don Ron, roster building for the first time. This is the first thing that Con Ron (laughs) has said that I believe. Remember, in previous seasons, the Washington daycare team was still growing and maturing. I do not understand why professional coaches and players still need to be publicly motivated. Trent Williams had to prove it to Ron, but Chase Young has received numerous chances to get motivated to adhere to the system. In Chase's defense, the young man has kept quiet and not made this a public issue. That's why I believe that the head coach is wrong to keep playing this out in the media. Rod Rivera's coaching style is so dated, it's truly said, I am looking forward to the ownership change so that we can finally move on from this entire regime. I like Sam Howell, but I'm not confident in Ron's ability to choose the right quarterback. I hope that Coach EB proves me wrong, but I have a strong feeling that Jacoby Brissett will be the QB1 in week one. Uh, thank you for the email, Thelonious. Now, I do have to say this to my man, Thelonious. Uh, the Trent Williams situation was rather different from this Chase Young situation. I mean, Trent was trying to jack the organization for more money, despite the team having paid him more money than any other player in team history, and despite him having missed a lot of time in recent seasons, and despite him not having been an elite left tackle 
in recent seasons. Now, Trent for the San Francisco 49ers very much has been an elite left tackle, but he was not that over his final few seasons with the Redskins. I did not have a problem with Ron Rivera not uh, giving into Trent Williams' demands. Trent used his cancer scare to try to get paid, okay? Plain and simple. Uh, The Chase Young situation, as we've discussed, is odd. It is strange that the team is being so open with its supposed uncertainty about this fifth-year option. And I say supposed because I have a hard time believing that the team, uh, nearly three months into its offseason, still doesn't know if the fifth-year option will be exercised. Uh, Ron, in his session with reporters at the league meeting, did deny that these uh, public expressions of uncertainty with the fifth-year option are a means of trying to motivate Chase or send a message to Chase. But I don't know how you view this any other way. And you got to wonder why this is happening. Like, why does the team feel this need to motivate Chase or to send a message to Chase? Uh, Email from Robert S. from, as he says, somewhere in Europe. Uh, Now, Robert writes regarding my conversation on this past Friday show, episode 540 with WUSA 9 sports director Darren Haynes, who at that NFL annual league meeting in Phoenix was at the center of the Jerry Jones, Roger Goodell thing, the Jerry Roger thing. Uh, Last Tuesday evening, March 28th, Darren was among those speaking with Dallas Cowboys owner, president, and general manager Jerry Jones when he said regarding the Mary Jo White investigation, quote, I know everything in the report, end quote. And that it was Darren who asked NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell in his press conference about what Jerry said. And Roger said that it would be impossible for Jerry to know what's in the report because, as Roger put it, the only person who he knows of who knows anything about the investigation is Mary Jo White. Writes Robert, greetings from somewhere in Europe that is not Warsaw. It wasn't just Roger's verbal response. It was his non-verbal response. Shifting body anchors can be a sign of deception, but Roger did more. He didn't just shift his weight from one foot to the other. He rocked back and forth several times as if his body wanted to run away from the discussion. Please watch the clip. This man is usually a stoic berg of rotten ice, (laughs) but he wasn't when answering Darren. I'd say that Roger was incredibly uncomfortable with his response, a.k.a. he was lying. Also, verbally, Roger the Dodger answered about Jerry Jones not having access to the investigation, not the report. Statement analysis indicates another lie. Serious kudos to Darren. As always, your voice is appreciated on the podcast during the PM Warsaw Rush. Uh, Thank you for the email, Robert. You know, I went back and watched the video of Roger Goodell's answer, and yeah, sure enough, a lot of body rocking from the Roger was going on. You know, one of my favorite songs by the Beastie Boys is a song called Body Moving. There was a whole lot of body moving by Roger Goodell. Hey, never forget, Roger Goodell is essentially a paid bullet taker for the NFL. He has paid a ton of money to be the public face of the league and to answer questions and to absorb blows about difficulties and controversies. And of course, often those difficulties and controversies have to do with NFL owners, but they are the people who pay his salary and his salary is exorbitant, man. The New York Times in October 2021 reported that Roger, for each of two consecutive league years, 2019-2020 and 2020-2021, made, are you ready for this, $63.9 million. Yes, $63.9 million in each of two consecutive league years, 2019-2020 and 2020-2021. So, hey, (laughs) if you're getting paid that kind of money, you're more than willing to answer all of the uncomfortable questions and do all of the body rocking and all of the body moving uh, that the job requires. Well, if you want to make Roger Goodell (laughs) like money, consider advertising your business or practice on this podcast, the Al Galdi Podcast. Uh, Advertising your business or practice on the pod will grow your business or practice and make you more money. Uh, Podcast advertising is very affordable. You very much get a bang for your buck and podcast advertising works. Email us. We'd love to have you on board. See what we can do for you. The email address is the Al Galdi Podcast at yahoo.com.
All right, before we get to our guest, Andrew Beaton, NFL Business and Sports Business Insider for the Wall Street Journal to discuss the sale of the Commanders. Uh, We have the hype tour of Commanders head coach Rod Rivera for Commanders quarterback Sam Howell continuing. Uh, Ron spoke to NFL Insider Albert Breer of the MMQB. The quotes were in a piece that came out on Monday morning headline, how NFL teams are rethinking which quarterbacks they're willing to pay. The piece includes this from Ron, quote, There's a lesson people learned. Look at what Philadelphia was able to do for a couple years. That's one of the things we looked at. Look at Philadelphia. Look at Cincinnati. I mean, these are teams that are doing well with these quarterbacks, and they were on their rookie contracts. Look at what that means for them. They were able to field good teams. They got themselves in the playoffs, and they were able to keep good players. End quote. So that right there is Ron Rivera reverting to what he was saying during the 2021 offseason. Do you remember that? Ron, in the 2021 offseason, in which Washington signed quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick as an unrestricted free agent to a one-year $10 million contract, uh, was very much touting this idea of, hey, you don't have to have a quarterback who's eating up a ton of salary cap space to have success. You can have a quarterback who you pay decent money to, but not grand money to. And so long as that quarterback is good enough, you as a team can do well enough. Uh, Well, this was not what Ron Rivera was saying last offseason when the commanders, of course, traded for quarterback Carson Wentz, who for the 2022 season had a salary cap hit of $28.29 million. So you take a step back. Our guy, Ron Rivera, once again has changed his tune on something, uh, this time regarding the quarterback plan. We have gone from, yeah, not spending a lot of capital on a quarterback is the way to go, to you got to do whatever it takes to get a franchise quarterback, to now back to, yeah, not spending a lot of capital on a quarterback is the way to go. This is classic Ronnie's, which is what I talked about on last Thursday's show, episode 539. Yes, Ronnie's, the language of Ron Rivera. Ronnie's includes Ron changing his mind, or at least changing his public stances on things. What he's saying about the nature of the quarterback position in roster building is vintage Ronnie's. What does he actually truly believe about the quarterback position in regards to roster building? Who knows, okay? But we do know that he now has gone from espousing one line of thinking to then espousing another line of thinking to now being back to espousing that first line of thinking. By the way, there is merit to each line of thinking, but the merit to each line of thinking isn't the point here. The point is that the Ronnie's is in full effect. Uh, also from Albert Breer, this on how Sam Howell went from being the commander's the QB3, who remember, Ron initially didn't even want to start in week 18 of last season, to then just a week later being positioned by Ron to be the team's QB1 for the 2023 season. Quote, for the commanders, it was first what defensive players would tell their coaches when Howell was running the scout team, plus how the receivers would say he was throwing them open and using leverage against the defense. Then, when Wentz went on IR and Howell became the backup, the staff got to see what he'd learned and how he'd self-correct. And then finally, in the season finale against the Cowboys, all that those coaches had seen and heard came together to give way to the thought that Howell deserved a real shot. There was also the fact that the Commanders had a second-slash-third-round grade on him in 2022, and that a couple of Washington scouts, before Howell dipped a little in his final college season, put 6.4 and 6.7 preseason grades, starter grades, on him. End quote. Okay. I'd be willing to bet that most, if not all, of the intel in that passage by Albert Breer came from Ron Rivera, who has a good relationship with Breer. Again, though, Ronnie's, all of what was in that passage that I just read to you sounds great. And look, I am actually pretty excited about what Sam Howell might be for the Commanders. I was a big fan of the Commanders taking Sam in the fifth round of the 2022 NFL Draft. But It is impossible to ignore uh, whence we came. Ron, initially, not even wanting to start Sam 
in what ended up being that impressive NFL regular season debut, the win over the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field in week 18 of this past season. We went from that to then just days later, not months later, not even weeks later, days later, Ron telling commander's offensive coordinator candidates that he was positioning Sam to be the QB1 for the 2023 season. I mean, one more time, Ronnie's. Uh, well, hopefully it is that Sam Howell has a bright future with the Commanders, perhaps a future so bright that he needs shades. And if Sam does need shades, he needs to get himself some Shady Rays, and he needs to use the promo code Al Galdi. Shady Rays, it is offering a great deal to listeners of this podcast. 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses at ShadyRays.com. Go to ShadyRays.com and use the promo code Al Galdi. Shady Rays sunglasses. They look good. They feel good. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's affordable and durable with clear optics for whatever you're doing outside. And Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements, meaning that if you lose or break your pair of sunglasses, even on day one, Shady Rays will send you a brand new pair of sunglasses, no questions asked. Wear your Shady Rays with confidence because Shady Rays has your back long after your purchase. Here's a special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Go to ShadyRays.com and use the code ALGALDI for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Yeah, 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. If you don't love them, you can exchange them for sunglasses that you do love, or you can return your sunglasses for a full refund within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Shady Rays always has your back. Go to ShadyRays.com and use the code ALGALDI for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. If you have been thinking about getting new sunglasses, now is the time. And Shady Rays is the way. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. That's ShadyRays.com and use the code ALGALDI for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Also, Shady Rays has done some great work, has donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger with Feeding America. Shady Rays, look good and feel good. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, the phrase summer of 2020 (laughs) means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But if you are a fan of the NFL team, now known as the Commanders, that phrase summer of 2020 brings to mind the unprecedented like eruption of scandal and controversy and turmoil with our team. Uh, Three things all emerged at once. The name change, the workplace misconduct scandal, and the ownership turmoil. All of those things came to the fore in the summer of 2020. And it turns out, as I suspected, and as I'm sure many of you suspected, that all three of those things were connected. I first spoke with Andrew Beaton, NFL business and sports business insider for the Wall Street Journal in August 2020, when he was reporting on the 
fracture between Washington owner Dan Snyder and his then-disgruntled minority partners, Robert Rothman, Dwight Shar, and Fred Smith. Well, here we are, two and two-thirds years later, and we still have ownership uncertainty with Washington, and Andrew Beaton still is reporting on the situation, including this past Friday having a report on how Dan is conducting himself with his fellow NFL owners as he continues the process of selling the commanders. Andrew Beaton is with us now. You can read his work at WSJ. You can follow him on Twitter at Andrew L. Beaton, and Beaton is spelled B-E-A-T-O-N. Hey, Andrew, how are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me again. Yeah, thanks for joining me again. Uh, You had a piece that came out this past Friday, March 31st, reported on something that the Washington Post had previously reported, that Dan Snyder essentially has gone dark regarding informing other NFL owners about what is going on in this sale of the commanders. You tweeted, quote, Dan Snyder hasn't been openly communicating with fellow owners about the potential sale of the Washington Commanders. Left in the dark as bids come in, some across the league wonder if he will actually sell or if they will have to try and force him out. End quote. What more can you tell us about Dan's lack of communication with other NFL owners? Yeah, so during these sales processes, there's typically a normal cadence where uh, where whoever's selling the team is keeping the league and therefore in to turn the owners is pretty apprised of what's happening in terms of who's bidding, how much, where things stand in the process. But it's not really a secret that there's pro- that, that there's no love lost between Dan Snyder and, and, and the National Football League these days. And having been at the NFL's annual meeting where the, the coaches, the general managers, and yes, all three, all, all, all the owners gather every year. When I was there last week, one of the things that struck me from having spoken to people on the ground is that uh, that type of that line of communication that's often there, that's usually there, isn't happening. And so, when we're all sort of wondering what's happening in this process, and we are hearing about bids that come in, the NFL ownership is basically hearing things through the media or through um, external channels, sort of the way any of us work. And it's made for uh, a kind of odd moment in starting to wonder, when is this team going to be sold? Is it actually going to be sold? Because everyone's sort of left operating without the typical gusher of information that, that surrounds a process like this. So if the what is that Dan Snyder has gone dark with other NFL owners in terms of informing them about the sale of the commanders, the next question, of course, is why is Dan doing this? The obvious concern would be that he's doing this as part of a plan to do a 180 and not sell the team. But of course, it could also be that Dan is doing this uh, just to mess with the other NFL owners and with the league as a whole. Do you have a sense on why Dan has gone dark? The answer is I can't exactly tell you the specific on why but I, I i'd say i'd repeat what i said earlier which is would it surprise or shock absolutely anybody to, to know that there's a strained relationship presumably between uh dan snyder and the national football league i don't think that would be surprising to say the least given everything that has gone on and how it has happened but i think one of the things that people raised to me is that yes dan snyder has taken steps toward what quote unquote, a potential transaction. We know bids are coming in, but what some people raised to me is given that they're not being looped in in the way that they usually are, they sort of said, all right, we'll believe the team's being sold when we see it sold. It's just in the vein of they're operating without that same type of information and updates that they usually have. So one of the things that they know is just always that Dan Snyder has always vehemently said he wouldn't sell a team, that this is a, a personal passion project for him. Does that mean they have any information or any reason to say he's actually not selling it? No, no, not at all. Not at all. But just given his past uh, stances and the lack of information exchange, it's just led people to sort of say, I'll believe it's done when I actually see it's done. And that very much is a feeling here in the Washington, D.C. area, although most indications do continue to be that Dan Snyder is selling the entirety of his ownership of the team. Uh, Even the head coach, Ron Rivera, and the team president, Jason Wright, have taken to speaking publicly in a way that indicates that they anticipate an ownership change. Do you know if the NFL bylaws require 
that an NFL owner selling his or her team has to keep other NFL owners informed about the sale of uh, his or her team? I think it, it, it's, uh, I could be wrong. I, I can't say I have every bylaw memorized, but I, I don't think there is any rule on that. There are plenty of rules on things such as owners need to be, uh, new owners need to be vetted and approved um, and the sale needs to be approved. But I think this is more, it's a stand, it's typically a standard practice type thing. And then, and just going back to last year when the Broncos were sold, that line of communication was definitely there when the Broncos were being sold. And people throughout the leagues knew a lot more about what was happening and who was involved. Um, so it, it's more that this is just not moment. I mean, I think our Arthur Blank said it well last week when he said, you know as much as the league knows, and that's very rarely the case. It's very minimal communication. You mentioned the sale of the Denver Broncos. Uh, that team last year sold for $4.65 billion, a record sale price for an NFL team. NFL insider Albert Breer of the MMQB, he in a piece that came out on Monday morning wrote, quote, as for the price, Snyder's number at the beginning of this was $7 billion. One team president told me this week that the number had come down to $6.5 billion. And as for where it actually lands, it sounds like the final figure will be closer to $6 billion. End quote. Do you think that it is safe to say that we are going to get a sale price for the commanders that far surpasses this record of $4.65 billion? Yeah, my my understanding of the bids is that they were in that sort of six range. I mean, obviously, numbers can change a bit when you start getting into the nitty-gritty finances and how things are being accounted for. So I could see it being a little more. I could see it being a little less. But I think the one thing that's not really in dispute is that if this team is sold, it is going to break that record for a North American sports franchise. And, you know, it seemed really, really eye-popping when the Broncos went for that much a year ago. But we're also looking at it at the commanders that this is a historic franchise, obviously one that has not succeeded really on or off the field over the past couple decades, but that doesn't change the history, the passionate fan base that we know can exist. And D.C. is obviously seen as a prime market. We are talking with NFL business and sports business insider Andrew Beaton of the Wall Street Journal about the sale of the Commanders. Uh, It appears as if the group being led by Philadelphia 76ers managing partner and New Jersey Devils managing partner Josh Harris is the uh, betting favorite to win the bidding for the Commanders. Is that how you view this? Uh, And how do you think that Harris would be as a majority owner of an NFL team? Yeah, I mean, I think we can all look at the Sixers and say, see that's been uh, a successful franchise in recent years. I think a lot of NBA fans would be happy if they had uh, Joel Embiid on their team. Uh, and so uh, credit to way that's been run. But as far as a betting favorite, uh, I, I'd like to think that I'm smart enough to know what I don't know in this situation and uh, not, not lay my wager down. But I think that you can look at that as a group where Josh Harris is a known quantity. He's known both within the sports world, the finance world, um, and that any bidding he's involved in, he should be considered a strong contender. Josh Harris does own a portion of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, Obviously, he would have to get rid of that to buy the commanders. As far as we know, he has not sold that minority stake in the Steelers. How quickly would he be able to do that in order to make a purchase of the commanders? Uh, I think that would be more of a formality. So, uh, typically, typically a minority stake in that uh, type of team. Wouldn't, I don't think it'd be that difficult to move or have the league help handle it. I don't think that's anything that uh, the NFL or Josh Harris would let themselves get in the way of a sale, a sale of this magnitude. Okay. Uh, It was last Tuesday afternoon, March 28th, that we had multiple reports of actual certified bids for the commanders, Uh, multiple reports that the group being led by Josh Harris had submitted a fully funded offer of $6 billion and multiple reports that Canadian billionaire Steve Apostolopoulos had submitted a fully funded offer of $6 billion. Now, not much is known about Steve Apostolopoulos. What do you make of him as a potential owner of the commanders? Yeah, I think that's the curious thing that uh, not a ton is known because I think 
better known in Canada where he's built extremely successful businesses. But I think the one thing to, to always remember is that the NFL does an extremely rigorous vetting process on anybody who's buying a team. So um, anything, it, it, if Commanders fans are worried about the unknowns in terms of our, and this is not for him, but for pretty much anybody who'd buy a team, these people are, anyone who buys a team is vetted really, really thoroughly. So oh, even if they might be relative unknowns to the general public, nobody will be unknown to the National Football League when they're, when they're purchasing a team. Well, an unknown to a lot of us in the sale of the Commanders is the extent to which Amazon founder Jeff Bezos is a factor. What's your sense on how involved in this process he is? I mean, what I know is what we reported, that there have been those two bids submitted. But I think the vibe is that uh, if Jeff Bezos ultimately wants the team, uh, his wealth is pretty incomparable to basically anyone else on this planet. And if he wants it bad enough, he can definitely get it. Um, I know there have been rumors circulated elsewhere that because of uh, Dan Snyder's uh, beef with the Washington Post that... um, that Dan Snyder wouldn't sell uh, to him. I have not heard that. So I think the avenue is clear that if Jeff Bezos wants to uh, get in the fray here, that it's a green light. Something else that's unclear in the sale of the commanders, the stages of the bidding. Are there stages? Uh, If so, where exactly are we in those stages? And if there aren't stages, is the sale as simple as it's over when Dan Snyder decides it's over? I think the answer is both, in a sense, that all of these things are, are run by extremely professional banks that are known, that, that know exactly how to do this. Bofa is running it for the commanders. Um, and then all the buyers have their own respective bankers who they're dealing with. So there are formalities, there are stages, but also this can come down to how Dan Snyder sees the timeline. Does he want another round of bids because he thinks they're not enough or because two are similar and one should have to beat the other? Um, do you wait time to see if Jeff Bezos enters the fray? I think there's, a, I think one of the things that was interesting to me about finding out that um, there wasn't this typical open line of communication is that you and I and a lot of other people are also wondering the same things and that it feels like a sale could happen tomorrow or it could happen in a month and a half and that we're all just sort of playing a waiting game and seeing what we can find out in the meantime. Yeah, very much so. Uh, as you know, it has never been that other NFL owners have voted out an NFL owner. Uh, such a vote would require at least 24 of the 32 NFL teams voting yes. In your conversations with people, including at the NFL's annual league meeting in Phoenix, Arizona last week, if Dan Snyder tries to do an about-face and not sell the commanders, could you see NFL owners voting him out? I think there's a belief within some that they would have the votes to do it. And I think that's a pretty big hurdle to clear. But that being said, um, you know, people thinking they have the votes to do it versus uh, 24 people voting on it and saying yes are two different things. So I think probably everybody involved doesn't want to have to get there, but I don't think it would be uh, out of the realm of possibility. That's for sure. Wow, that is big. Final question for you. Uh, I mentioned that your reporting on the Dan Snyder saga started in the summer of 2020, so you are quite familiar (laughs) with this situation. It has been a situation that has been surreal in so many ways. As someone who covers NFL business and sports business, is this Dan Snyder saga as rare and unusual and wild as it seems to be to us? Yeah, definitely. And I think you hit on it at the beginning, which what was strange was that there were firefights on so many different fronts emerging at the same time. And there was in, there were webs of these that were intertwined in so many different ways between the minority owners, between sponsors pressuring him to uh, change the name, and between the reports of sexual harassment and wrongdoing within the club. And so all these things felt so intertwined, but there was just, it felt like there were fires that needed to be put out every day uh, on different fronts. I think that's what made this team over the last year, few years, such a spectacle in that um, it's not, this is a sports world. We're not unused to controversy and this is not the first NFL owner 
or sports owner who's been involved with controversy, but when there were so many other things connected with it and happening at the same time, that's what really supercharged it. I mean, it's not every day that you have a powerful congressional committee uh, investigating <laughs> the National Football League and one of its teams. Yeah, the whole thing just sounds absurd when you hear it out loud. Andrew Beaton, NFL business and sports business insider for the Wall Street Journal. Andrew, thanks a lot for your time and all the best. Yep, thank you so much for having me. All right, good stuff from Andrew. If you have like 20 seconds, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast. Uh, you want Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated, and you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review doesn't have to be long, can be just a sentence or two. can be longer, but doesn't have to be. Uh, but the ratings and the reviews help out the podcast a lot, so thank you very much for doing them. So we on Monday night had the second lowest official attendance for a Nationals regular season home game since the franchise moved to Washington, D.C. in the 2004-2005 offseason, 10,754. Probably not the last time this season that the Nats for a game at Nationals Park have an official attendance that uh, threatens the record low for a Nats regular season home game since the franchise moved to D.C. We understand the state of the Nats, considering the rebuild, considering also the ownership uncertainty. Uh, There are a lot of reasons to believe that the Nats are going to be really bad again this season. Maybe the biggest reason is the Nats hitting. Uh, These 2023 Nationals in no way profile as a team that's going to be good offensively, and especially do not profile as a team that is going to hit for much power. And so far in this regular season, we have seen nothing to change that thinking. The Nats fell to 1-3 and with a 6-2 loss to the Tampa Bay Rays at Nationals Park on Monday night in Game 1 of a three-game series. The Nats over four regular season games have totaled a mere nine runs. Yes, four games, nine runs. The Nats on Monday night just two runs, just four hits, just one walk. Now, we did get a home run. That was good. Uh, Jamer Candelario, he was the Nats' starting third baseman at number three batter, one for four with a solo homer and two strikeouts. Uh, Candelario in the Nats' one-run ninth, a leadoff full-count opposite field home run to left center field. But the Nats' other three hits in the game were singles. Uh, The Nats so far this regular season, and I'll grant you that the sample size is small, but the Nats so far this regular season have a team on base percentage of just 268 and a team slugging percentage of just 262. Now, both numbers are bad, but the Nats slugging percentage is lower than their on base percentage. That's hard to do. (laughs) And yet the Nats are doing that. Uh, The lack of power really stands out. The Nats so far this regular season have been out homered 7-2, including 3-1 on Monday night. I mean, just consider how the Nats are scoring their runs. The Nats on Monday night scored their first run in the bottom of the seventh, and they in that inning scored via a fielding error, an infield single, and an RBI ground out, okay? Like, that's how the Nats are scoring right now. Go back even to the Nats' biggest inning so far this regular season, that four-run first in the 4-1 win over the Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park on Sunday afternoon. The Nats in that four-run first didn't have, say, a three-run homer or multiple extra base hits. No, the Nats in that four-run first had three singles, three walks, and an RBI sack fly. That's how the Nats are scoring right now. Also, making things even worse for the Nats was that they on Monday night were guilty of a big no-no, chasing pitches, swinging at pitches outside of the strike zone. Uh, The Nats on Monday night got worked by the Rays' starting pitcher, Drew Rasmussen. Uh, He tossed six scoreless innings with seven strikeouts. Here was Nats manager Davey Martinez during his postgame press conference on Monday night. We knew knew he threw the ball around the plate. we got to get him in strike zone still. I mean, that's the thing. We were chasing way too many pitches. Yes, you were. Uh, the Nats so far getting way too little offensively from three guys who you'd love to see hit well. Uh, shortstop C.J. Abrams, second baseman Luis Garcia, and first baseman slash D.H. Joey Manessis. Uh, Abrams on Monday night has the Nats starting shortstop and number seven batter over 3 with a walk. You know, Abrams has yet to register a hit 
in this regular season. Now, we did have a deep flyout to end the game, but uh, still, Abrams isn't hitting yet. Uh, Garcia on Monday night was an at-starting second baseman and number one batter, but he went over four. And Manessis has been an at-starting DH and number two batter for each of their four regular season games, but he isn't hitting. Uh, Manessis has a batting average of 176, an on-base percentage of 176, and a slugging percentage of 176. Uh, Manessis on Monday night over four with two strikeouts. Uh, the at-starting pitcher on Monday night was Trevor Williams. Uh, he made his Nats regular season debut. Trevor Williams was the biggest free agent signing by the Nats this past offseason. No, uh, <laughs> that's not saying much, but the Nats on December 10th officially announced having agreed with Williams on a two-year free agent contract. The deal is a two-year $13 million contract. This season is his age 31 season. He had a good 2022 season for the New York Mets. Williams in the 2022 regular season for the Mets totaled 89 and two-thirds innings over 30 games, including nine starts. He over those 89 and two-thirds innings had an ERA of 321 and an ERA plus of 120. He, in his major league career, has been used as both a starter and a reliever. The Nats are using him as a starter. He, on Monday night, was so-so. Four runs, three earned in five innings. He gave up six hits, two home runs, and four singles, although three of the singles were infield singles. He issued one walk. He recorded three strikeouts. He, over his five innings, uh, did throw 93 pitches. The homers are what truly hurt him. Williams, in the top of the first, allowed two runs on a two-out infield single by Randy Rosarena, and then a first pitch, two-out, two-run homer by Luke Rayleigh on a bottom to center field. The homer went a projected 429 feet for StatCast. And Williams, in the top of the fourth, gave up a leadoff homer to Isak Paredes to left field. Uh, that homer went a projected 404 feet for StatCast. But Williams on Monday night also was plagued by some bad luck. I mentioned the three infield singles. Uh, Williams, in the top of the second, allowed a run on back-to-back one-out infield singles and then a one-out RBI sack fly. Uh, Williams had throwing issues on each infield single, in fact. Uh, he gave up a one-out infield single to Josh Lowe on a dribbler down the first baseline that Williams fielded, but he then made a low throw that bounced in the dirt in front of first baseman Dominic Smith. And then Williams gave up a one-out infield single to Manuel Margot on a weekly hit ball that caused Williams to stumble. And then he made this shuffle throw to Dom Smith that got by Smith as Margot collided with Smith's glove, knocking it off Smith. Uh, Williams was charged with a throwing error. Margot wasn't hit with an interference call. Uh, so again, you know, some bad luck there for Trevor Williams. Davey Martinez during his postgame press conference on Monday night on Williams. You know, he, he had some unfortunate plays. A uh, couple balls, he, you know, um, he left up, you know, and, and uh, got hit hard. But overall, you know, we make a couple plays. If we're, you know, um, he's out of anything in the first inning. And then, uh, and then he, you know, thank, thank goodness he didn't get hurt. But, um, you know, he fell, fell. You know, we could have got that out. And, and another little ground ball that we should have got out. So, um, but I thought he did okay. I mean, he wanted to go back out for the sixth inning because that's just who he is. And, uh, but, you know, at, at five innings and 90, 90 plus pitches, I thought that was good. All right. And then with the Nats bullpen on Monday night, uh, two Nats relievers combined to allow two runs in four innings. Mason Thompson looked good. Uh, one run in three innings. He worked three innings. Uh, the Nats have been leaning on Mason Thompson to throw multiple innings in appearances going back to late last season. And uh, he seems up to the task. I like a lot about Mason Thompson. Uh, he on Monday night in the top of the eighth did give up a two-out opposite field solo homer to Luke Rayleigh to left field. But again, bottom line for Thompson, one run in three innings. And then Anthony Banda in the top of the ninth allowed a run on two singles and an RBI sack fly. Also in the inning was Banda committing a throwing error on a pickoff attempt. Game two for the Nats against the Rays at Nationals Park Tuesday night at 7.05. Chad Cool will be the Nats starting pitcher. Well, the Orioles began their 2023 regular season by losing two or three games at the Boston Red Sox in a series in which the Orioles' pitching and defense were big disappointments. Monday night, the Orioles' pitching stepped up big time. The O's improved at 2-2 two and two with a 2-0 win at the Texas Rangers in game one of a three-game series as the O's, Joe Angel, were back 
in the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column. Yes, Joe, the win column. And how about what happened with Orioles pitching in this game? A one-hit shutout despite the Orioles' starting pitcher not even lasting for two innings. Kyle Bradish, he was the Orioles' starting pitcher on Monday night. He made his 2023 regular season debut, but he lasted for just one and two-thirds innings. Now, Bradish tossed one and two-thirds scoreless innings with two strikeouts, but he, in the bottom of the second, suffered a right foot contusion in taking a liner off the bat of Jonah Heim. And so the O's, who over their three games at the Red Sox got a total of just 12 innings from starting pitchers, had to go to the bullpen on Monday night in the bottom of the second. Not ideal, but what we then got was pure excellence. Danny Coulom tossed one and a third scoreless, hitless, and walkless innings. You say who? I say Danny Coulom. Uh, The O's on March 28th acquired Coulom via trade with the Minnesota Twins for cash considerations. Then Tyler Wells came into the game, and he was magnificent. Five scoreless, hitless, and walkless innings. You know, Wells was supposed to be the Orioles' starting pitcher for Tuesday night's game, but he instead got used in this game, and he was great. And then Felix Batista, he tossed a perfect bottom of the ninth for the save. Coulomb, Wells, and Batista all coming through, especially Wells. I mean, again, five scoreless, hitless, and walkless innings. Now, Wells last season made the transition from reliever to starter, so him being in a relief role on Monday night, you know, that role wasn't exactly foreign to him. But still, Five scoreless, hitless, and walkless innings. Uh, The Orioles' offense, which was outstanding in that three-game series at the Red Sox, was not so good on Monday night, but the O's did smash two homers. Uh, The O's for the game had just two runs and four hits, did draw four walks, and two of the hits were home runs. Uh, Gunnar Henderson, uh, he was the Orioles' starting third baseman and number five batter. He went two for four with a solo homer and a single. He did strike out twice, but Henderson in an Orioles one-run fourth, a two-out opposite field solo homer to left center field. The homer went a projected 408 feet per stat cast. Jorge Mateo, uh, he on Monday night was the Orioles' starting shortstop and number eight batter, one for three with a solo homer. Uh, Mateo did commit a fielding error, but he in an Orioles one-run fifth, a Mateo bomb, a one-out solo homer to left field off the facing of the second deck. The homer would have projected 433 feet per stat cast. Really good job by the O's to get this win. Game two for the O's at the Rangers Tuesday night at 8.05. The Orioles' starting pitcher is to be determined. And that will do it for you and me for now. Get the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Wednesday show, episode 543, will include a lot for you on the Commanders. Also, I'll talk Nationals, Orioles, and Wizards. Game two of a three-game series for the Nats against the Tampa Bay Rays at Nationals Park is on Tuesday night at 7.05. Game two of a three-game series for the O's at the Texas Rangers is on Tuesday night at 8.05. And the Wizards, uh, they are home to the NBA leading Milwaukee Bucks, Tuesday night at 7. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, and I'll talk to you on Wednesday. Make him humble! Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.